0: May mercy and grace and peace be yours from God our Father through his Son, his only Son, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Verbs tell us what is done by or to someone or something. Nouns tell us who or what is doing the doing. Olympic athletes in Tokyo are swimming and diving, jumping and flipping, running and riding, throwing and rowing. And in this place, people are singing and praying and confessing. Newborns and toddlers, teenagers and adults come to the font to receive God's gifts, and sinners hungry and thirsty for righteousness come to the altar to receive a blessed meal. Many of you have heard me say, perhaps in a sermon or in a Bible study or in a a good news group, that when we read or listen to scripture, it's very important to ask who is the subject of the verb? So don't forget to keep wondering that about that in the next 10 or 12 minutes. But I do also want to change the sermon title that I wrote earlier last week and that's printed in your worship guide. Yes, there are a lot of verbs, but there are also some significant shapes in Ephesians chapter 3. May the Holy Spirit... Give us attentive ears and expectant hearts to ponder this word of God about nine verbs and two shapes. People God dearly loves. Two Sundays ago, I told you that we'd hear from the letter to the Ephesians for eight consecutive Sundays And I also, in that first reading from Ephesians, I pointed to a Trinitarian construction. You'll hear that again today. This morning's epistle begins with three short words, three important words, for this reason. Chapter 3 actually began with the same phrase, and it was earlier in chapter 1. It tells us that something significant comes before it. James, the apostle, the brother of John, one of the sons of Zebedee, bowed his neck to the executioner's sword. But Paul bows in a different way. He bows his knees. Paul bows his knees before the Father. Something prompts him to do that for this reason. The reason is a mystery has been revealed and it might be helpful as you would choose and find the time to reread the first part of chapter 3 later today. The mystery is this. The church is bigger than some thought. The church is not just for Jewish people who came to believe and to rejoice that Jesus was and is the promised Messiah. But the church is also for Gentiles. The church includes outsiders. The church includes you. The church includes us. We are fellow heirs. We are members of the same body of Christ. We receive the unsearchable riches of Christ. That's verse 8. We also have boldness and access with confidence, that's verse 12, to approach God to know what Pepper Celeste knows today. We have a gracious, loving, forgiving, welcoming Father. For this reason, Paul goes to his knees. For this reason, for a family that he knew in a place called Ephesus, for a family in San Antonio, for every family named by and in Christ. And bowing his knees, bending his knees, the apostle prays that from the riches, the boundless treasure of his glory, the generous Father will grant even more. Paul's prayer for the first century church is still his prayer for the 21st century church. He asks the Father to grant strength With power, a beautiful redundancy, the power is from the Holy Spirit. And this strengthened power is for our souls, for the inner being of the saints of God. The problem is, we want visible power. We are tempted so often to seek the power the world wants, Power to influence or control others. Power to set our own destiny. Power to keep the Dow Jones average above 35,000. Power to decide whether to receive a vaccination or not. Power to buy or to not buy Ben and Jerry's ice cream. We're tempted to seek power that is both noticed and rewarded. Power recognized with a gold or silver, or bronze metal. The power Paul prays for and writes of is strengthened faith, not the power to look inside of ourselves and see our capabilities or our goodness or our worth, but this power, Christ, dwelling in us, unseen but real. This is the blessing I prayed for with Yvonne Hartman at Methodist Stone Oak Hospital yesterday afternoon. I prayed that, though her body is weak, that her soul would be strengthened by the Spirit's power, that our Lord will continue to dwell in her heart through the faith given her by the simple water and the strong word of holy baptism. Paul bows, the Father grants, Christ dwells, but now the subject changes to reveal how Spirit breathes Scripture, describes us. These words are to the Ephesian Christians, but also to the saints in every place and of every time, which means these words, verses 17 to 19, are also for us. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend what is the breadth and length, and height, and depth of this love, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. We are to be rooted and grounded. We are to comprehend. We are to know. We are to be filled. Christians, we might say, are plants, for the seed of the gospel is scattered By the sower, the seed sprouts and grows. The plant becomes fruitful. But only as plants are rooted and grounded in the powerful, undeserved, seeking love of the Father. The Father who loved the world so much that he gave his only Son to live a perfect life and to die a perfect death. This rooted And grounded faith is strong, and yet it grows in an odd foundation, something that makes sense for those of us who live in South Texas and watch roots go somehow to and through rocks. For our faith is rooted in the rock of Calvary and in the discarded stone of the empty and open tomb. And this faith has strength to comprehend to seize, to grasp the vast dimensions of Christ's love, so broad, so long, so high, so deep. There are nine verbs, but there are two shapes, and the first shape is a cruciform shape. It It is what we will sing about in just about 15 minutes. How high the love of Christ. Can it be measured? No. It is immeasurable. It is as wide as a beam of rough wood at Golgotha. It is as broad as the world filled with sinners. It is as high as the heavens from which Christ gave up his throne. It is as deep as the darkest, damning sin for which he gave his life away. You hear this wide, broad, high, deep love when Jesus says to the paralyzed man in Capernaum, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And when he speaks through the prophet Nathan to broken and repentant David, we heard this in Bible study earlier, the Lord has put away your sin. And you can see this love in action. You see it through Christ's painful but willing death. And you see and hear it in the middle of your sleepless night during the fourth watch when your boat is tossed by the waves and the wind buffets against you. Then Jesus appears in his word and speaks, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. This is how we have the knowledge that surpasses knowledge. This is how we are filled with the fullness of God. This is how we are shown mercy and given grace, sought and found like so many straying sheep, welcomed home like so many runaway sons and daughters. For the fullness of God is more than a doctrine or an abstract truth. And now the second shape, which is... A triangle, the cruciform shape, is joined to the triangle when a new child of God is baptized into Christ's death and resurrection in the triune name. For this God, this triune God, has a heart turned towards sinners. He has a flood. For us of full forgiveness, he has a promise of life now and of life unending in his glorious presence. And what can be the response of the saints of God? What can it be? After bowing to the Father and praying for the Holy Spirit's gifts through the Son, Paul gives us the model. He bursts into a doxology. He exclaims with clear and rich words how the church responds to the God who acts in all his self-salvation-winning verbs. Now to him who is able, who has both the power and the desire to do far more abundantly, not just a little, but with a great rescue and redeeming deluge, than all that we ask or think more than we could design, more than we could even imagine— To him be glory in the church, in this living, breathing, serving, witnessing, caring body of Christ, and in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, and our identity throughout all generations, the generations of faith, parents to children, grandparents to their children's children, seen at the font seen in our sanctuary with the Lippi and Fitzinger families today. Throughout all generations, they join in singing a never-ending hymn at the never-ending feast where there is never-ending joy. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen, 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 Yes, Truly, So Be It.